0: Well, welcome to another Bedford Blues podcast, uh, this latest instalment of another away trip where I take a former blues player through their musical tastes and what they would take on their iPod. Joining me this week, I'm extremely pleased to have the legend that is Q, Matt Volland, a very good afternoon to you.
1: Good afternoon, thank you for having me.
0: I've uh, got written down here, Mr Matt Volland... 155 times you played for the Blues. Uh, Now a key member of the Blues management team, I would have thought another 50-odd games at least in that sort of role. When Colin Jackson in 2001 asked you to come and be part of the Blues full-time, is that what you thought would happen? That many caps? That much involvement?
1: Um, If I'm honest, no. Um, I... uh February of that year, I came here, what, 2001 I think it was, um, I just had a um, back operation and I decided to leave Northampton as well just before I had the back problem and we, we discussed it and I'd been, at, I'd been at Northampton for 10 years, um, I basically was sitting on the bench for two years, Gary Pagel was at the club, he was a fantastic player, he was awesome, so I had no no problems with him there, um, I needed a club to come to not many people were interested in a, a prop that should have had a back operation I had a quick chat with Colin, and a quick chat with Jeff, and um, we sort of put a few things together, and uh, that's how it happened.
0: And how has it panned out for you? Has it become
1: more than you ever thought it was going to be? Well, yeah. In some ways, I mean, like I said, I, I didn't think I'd be, I didn't think I'd play at this club as long as I did. What that wasn't the plan. But once I was here, I really enjoyed it. If I'm honest, in the early days, you know, playing with people like Cameron Thomas and and Oz, and later on Kramer and people like that. We weren't the best team in the world, and we weren't the most skillful team in the world. But we had, but we had lots of um, lots of passion, and, and you know each other had each other's back, and we won a lot of games by just goddamn hard work, you know. And uh, and it did end up being very enjoyable on and off the pitch. It was really good. Yeah.
0: The record will show that you played a couple of games in the ninety nine two thousand season, the Premiership season. Um, was there any inkling in your mind when you played those two, or was it a case of just getting some some game time and, well, and seeing how you were?
1: Well, no, it was um, that might have started off my sort of mindset of perhaps leaving Northampton then. But the, the truth is about that one, I did actually have a groin problem um, and I needed some games and. Obviously, the the strength at the, the time then, uh, I couldn't have just slipped straight into the first team at all. So we needed games and um, that's how it came about. And, uh, and it was close. To, the geography was good. It was close to home. And uh, so, yeah, just got those games. And I think we played Newcastle, Leicester. Um, I can't remember what the other game was, but yeah. So, yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, so I was involved in all of them and I was really pleased. Yeah. I'm
0: going to take you back a little bit further. How did rugby start for you? When did oh. when did when did all of that sort of I
1: click into place?
0: You can remember that. You can can remember,
1: remember the day? Can you? I can remember it very well. I was um, I was six years old and uh, it was uh, winter time and it was actually um, snowing. And my brother was 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 uh, at Peter, it was this at Peter Rugby Club. Um, my brother was there and because I was I was only six and he took eight year olds on. Um, but I still wanted to have a go, and I think my dad was a bit anxious or whatever. Anyway, he let me have a go. <laughs> and it was snowing, and it was freezing. And I remember running. I remember running back to the car, probably crying. I'm not sure, but um, running back to the car, um, asking my dad for a cardigan because it was so cold. <laughs> but I do, I do remember it very well. Yes, yeah.
0: And um, how did that progress? Where did you go? Peterborough led to where? Well,
1: I played. I played um, up to Peterborough under 15s I didn't quite play for their Colts side and then I played a game actually funny enough for the East Midlands Colts here Mm. um, against a Northampton side and there was a, obviously not known then, there was a coach then um, called Jeff Wright, nicknamed Dougal, who was the East Midlands coach, no he was the Northampton coach, I'm not sure if he was East Midlands coach then, saw me and he was a massive part of my my life and my career really uh, uh, later on and uh, he uh, he asked me to go to Northampton and... I wasn't driving then either. Obviously, I was only what sixteen or something, seventeen, and um, and John Phillips used to give me a lift over there. So yeah, so that's uh, that's that was connection with John as well.
0: Was it a was it a baptism of fire? Or was it a? Did you really felt you landed with the big ones, or did they allow you to grow a little bit? into Well,
1: that? well, no. I mean, um, obviously, I was a sort of like quite a big lad then as well. So that that those things were fine. It what the contact and everything, the thing that was. Uh, you know, being a bit thick, the things there that, for me, were like... Like when you were at Peterborough, we didn't really have moves as such. Um, I didn't really know that much about rugby, do this, do that kind of thing. And that was the things that I had to learn quite quickly. And then, after that, you know, I did really well. So, yeah, it was good.
0: Can you talk about or encapsulate, if you can, your time at Northampton Saints?
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, it was... You know, I, I still have a big part of my heart there, you know, because of um, what I've done. I mean... I played, I played for their Colts, their 21s, their second team for a while and, and, and I was 18 when I got my first cap for the Saints and it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I, it, it was brilliant, you know, I played at the same sort of time I was playing East Midlands uh, Colts and, uh, uh, and Midlands Colts and I did all of that through the seniors. I did East Midlands Colts, 21 seniors uh, for the East Midlands and for the Midlands and then it was... I thought it was quite good because it was a championship. you played with other good players from Leicester and things like that and it, it was it, it was really good and then I got a chance to you know play for England twenty ones and uh England day and, and played loads of games obviously for the saints and um, I was thrown in the deep end really Glenn Ross was the uh the coach then, and he just uh he just picked me one day. Which was fantastic, and went from there. And, and actually, in that game that I first played for, if we didn't win, we would have been in the then second division. Yeah, so we had to win it against London Irish, and we won, and we stayed up. Looking
0: back, was that the best way with you to drop you in at the deep end?
1: Um, yeah, I was. I was. A, you know, I, I was never a sort of chief as such. I was always, always a bit of a follower. And uh, I had good. I mean, my best coaches were not players. You know, I, you know, I always say for me, Tim Robb was really god. You know, he was fantastic. He was a horrible man, don't get me wrong. He was. But the only way to sort of tell me what to do is by properly telling me. And if it needed, I mean, I've played in a game with, for example, Tim, where he's actually physically punched me because I didn't lift him in a line out, which sounds quite mad, but, you know, I totally understand where it's coming because he was 100% and he would never ask you to do anything that he couldn't do. You know, Paul Grayson again talk to you all the time you know you learn so much from okay he might have in a back but you just learn so much from him the way he talked to you the way the way he thought about the game and you you know and he helped you along you should be doing this you know played with some amazing people there and pat lamb i mean whatever he did whatever he said you you did he just was a massive leader there's a few things that off the pitch wasn't great with him but he, he on the pitch he was such a massive leader and he was fantastic yeah
0: you mentioned some of the names there it was a real sort of it was a really strong time for Northampton Saints. Looking back at it, you mentioned those names there. Yeah. You you put other names like 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 Hunter and Dawson. Mm. You know, this was Northampton at its very best. It must have been a great club to be at.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, again for me, it was very easy because I had so many good players around me. Um, you know, it was it was absolutely awesome. You know, you you said Ian Hunter. I mean, one of the best. I mean, <laughs> Mike went like this. I think he nicked his British Lion spot, but but um, he's one of the best best uh, players around. He used to glide across the pitch, you know. We used to, you know, um, Gregor Townsend, a complete nutter, you know. Perhaps a bit before his time, the way he used to sort of break away and things, but you know, really, really good. Um, then we then we had the, these sort of like the souls of the club, like um, like you know, obviously John Phillips. You know, he played he played about three hundred games for Northampton. I mean, what what in this modern era does anybody play three hundred games for a club? We had Alan Clark, who was like a hooker that was only about three foot tall, but he was absolutely fantastic. He played for he played for Ireland in the end. I mean, I think he got about nine or ten caps for Ireland, perhaps even more. But and also we had a big pack as well, which I always think helps. So if you have a big pack, it does really help massively. You know, especially back then as well, because you know you got away with. Rugby was a bit more not as clean as it is now. And uh, so it's got. I mean, Don McKinnon. I mean, fantastic uh, back row player. You know, Pete Walton, all, all good players. Yeah.
0: You also were coached by some some really lauded individuals. Um, Now you're on that side of the fence, as it were. Is there any things that you go back to, you you pick out from from their style and the way they did things that you try and employ in your role?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't, um, you know, I'm learning now even from Mike um, and Heinze and and, and Nick. And I'm pretty silent, really. I sit in the background and sort of like say my thing between to them perhaps not behind closed doors but sort of like my opinions there so I don't I don't ever you know want to tread on their toes or anything no. like that I mean it's, it's not not really my thing but a lot of coaching is the things you do and say and the drills you do are pretty much all the same things you've done through the, your career but perhaps different variations on things or different sort of stars of way of doing it but like I said you know Mike's a massive thinker he thinks about things all the time, and I, I just sit back a lot and, 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 and listen and learn. And again, you know, going back from like Ian McGeechan, he was—he he never stopped. He never stopped. And, and sometimes I think he thought we were robots because, like, some some of our training sessions were like three and a half hours, you know. And he was just like, just one more, just one more, just one more. But he was one of those perfectionists that just wanted you to do it right. Or if if he thought it was right in his head, and we actually physically did it, um, the move or whatever situation it was on the pitch, and if it wasn't right, he would he would have, no, i have got this wrong we should be trying this so he spend another hour sorting things out but um but no and and, and and you know everyone has their own little ways and uh Nick Walsh i, I, I listen to him a lot because he he's a bit of a I call him a bit of a rugby geek in a way not not I'm not saying that in a bad way it's like Ali Heifer is the same he's they really think about it all the time and they watch DVDs and get which is which is awesome and a lot of coaches do that and lots of co- co- other coaches obviously just just pick it out of their brain, you know, I think they're amazing people. I'm not sure if that's a road I want to go down, but, um, but yeah.
0: Let's talk about music. You're on this away trip, you've got your, your iPod plugged in, but unfortunately it's only allowing you to play three songs. Yeah. Which is the first song that you take on your away trip with you, and why?
1: Well, it, this is real hard for me, because um, I, do like, uh, I do like music a lot. I go to a lot of festivals through the off-season. It's, it's sort of part of how I relax, so it was difficult because I'm into all kinds of music I, I can go from Eddie Cochran to the Rolling Stones, AC/DC, whatever you like so I do like, a, I like dance music, I like everything, so across the scene but, but I've tried to pick out a few things, a few songs um, one is from Jet, Are You Gonna Be My Girl and it's just a, a good, pretty rocky beat song and um, it just reminds me of Good Times With The Boys basically
0: You landed in 2001 at the Blues. Mm-hmm. You said you had uh, sort of limited aspirations because of this back injury. You weren't sure how many games you were going to play. Yeah. What were your first impressions of what you'd got yourself into here at Goldington Road?
1: If I'm honest, I didn't know what I'd done really because um, not many people know this. I was pretty much just about to sign for Leeds as well. And I had, I've never had an agent before. I've always done all my own business, which had never been a major problem with me. And when I'd done my back, I thought, well, we're, you know, we had one or two, I was having one or two sort of problems, so I did get an agent, and I'm not going to mention his name, but I did sort him out eventually. And uh, he—that um, <laughs> sounds like a whole
0: new interview. Well, that does. Yeah.
1: He—he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, um, he basically messed things up. We—I I went up on the day. Uh, I went up on the day to to sign for uh, for Leeds, and. Um, he got, he got too, you know, I, I was happy with what it was. It, whatever happened, I, don't, I still don't really know from this day. He got a bit greedy and it all went pear-shaped. So, and then, uh, and why that time is Colin Colin w- was talking to me and I was sort of like trying to hold him off as well because it's always, I know it sounds bad, but a backup if you like, but still wanted to stay in the, in the premiership. And um, I came here, my first impressions were not that professional, not sure about all things lads were messing around and just things I wasn't used to, you know, and, and not the way I was sort of brought up in rugby, if you like. That's history now, but it, it got on to be OK in the end. I mean, I got on well with Colin, more off the pitch than sort of on the pitch, if you like. Um, Colin was an interesting character, can we say? But, um, but yeah, I got on with it. I got on with him in the end. It, you know, we had one or two discussions about how to sort of play the game and sometimes he didn't like it, sometimes he did. But, uh, but yeah, we got on quite well. So But the first impressions were a bit... Bit, uh, bit west, if you like.
0: Colin made you captain. You've mentioned before we heard our first song, you mentioned about the fact that you felt to a certain extent,
1: naturally, you were a little bit more of a, an Indian rather than a chief. Mm. Did that take some getting used to? It did, it, it, it did really. And I've always said, sort of like, you're at, when you're a captain on the pitch, um, you're only there really to talk to a referee sort of make decisions if you like and your 10 10's always your captain on the pitch he's always the one that runs the show he's always tells everyone what to do what where we're going you know strategies of the sort of game and stuff but the hardest thing for me was was sometimes training was quite hard because again you've got to remember you know we're semi-professional kind of thing the lads were at work and then suddenly they're having fun with the boys if you like and um, knowing their capabilities and stuff and then we went to go and play some games and we lose by, you know, lose to. I remember one game we went up to bloody Birmingham. We should have absolutely killed them, and we didn't. We came off. I felt like crying after the game. It just like felt like you're out there on your own kind of thing. But, but no, I found it quite difficult, enjoyable as well. But um, at times quite difficult, like all, all captains do. But when I knew, you know, I did. I think it was two seasons, and I, and I knew that was a, enough as well. Um, because that time as well, there was other players coming around. I needed to knuckle down and sort of sort my own back garden out really. And not worry about anyone else
0: the club went through quite a transformation in sort of colin jackson 's tenure. Um, yeah. I think it 's pretty safe to say we touched bottom uh, in, mm. the, in the second se- second season, yeah. and then things started to turn, and we got a little bit more formula, a little bit more formation, a little bit more to us. Mm. I think as much as anything, you know, the whole club was, you know, sort of relearning and, and re-guiding itself back mm. towards it. When the time came for, for Colin to move on and uh, Rudy Strally to come in, how did that strike you? What, what were your immediate thoughts about, about what he was going to bring?
1: I mean, I, didn't, I, didn't, um, I think I played against Rudy, but I didn't, I didn't really know him that well. Um, I knew he was a strong, strong character. But just on the flip side of that, I think I think Colin knew that he'd taken the club as far as he could take it. I think he knew the time to sort of moving on, and, and I think he'd probably he'd been here a long time and time time to go himself. You know, and he's obviously got a family and and you know he went back to uh, New Zealand and things. But um, but then when Rudy came, he obviously did. I mean, he had look, he had some strange ways of 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 um, of doing things, strange ways of sort of coaching sometimes. But again, like him or not, we did, had a very good season. You know, we went to Twickenham.
0: And what was that like for, for, for someone like yourself, who, would as you mentioned, that first step into the Bedford, <laughs> in the Goddington Road training rooms was. What was it like, therefore, getting to Twickenham and being on that journey?
1: Well, no, no, it's it was it was good. I mean, it was very good. But we had great players around us. You can't really don't forget that. Um, you know, played Twickenham before, but Twickenham, Bedford Blues, being at Twickenham, you've got to pinch yourself a little bit, haven't you? You know, seriously, and then and then winning as well. Um, knowing that we had a good season on top yeah it was absolutely fantastic and and then going there again the season after you know okay we lost but if you like we lost again to a better side we almost won by getting there if you like um, but yeah no Rudy was Rudy was fine um, you know I had some words with him that that, that, uh, that were there's just some ways I just wasn't used to you know mm-hmm. and uh, you know you've got to remember we had Matt Stewart and Don Malone and people like that there so um, you know, we had a great side. So, you know, in some ways, you don't need to coach those guys so much. You just need to sort of direct them. It's that sort of thing.
0: Let's talk about music again. This second yeah. song. Yeah. What have you chosen this time? No, it's it's not more loud music, is it, Mr. Volland?
1: Well, I do like my rock. I must admit, and it's not that loud. It, it, it's it's the Killers, um, Mr. Brightside. But uh, again, it, not being one, it sounds like I just like to go uh, go out with the boys all the time. But um, I've had very good memories of this, uh, mainly. Uh, um, in the church uh, in London, and ending up at the walkabout at Shepherd's Bush, and uh, so yeah, it's a, just a memory song really. It's not one of my favourites, I'm honest. It's not one of my favourite songs, but it's just a, a memory song. Yeah, very really good.
0: And is there any particular people that you'd like to pin this song on?
1: Well, not really, because like <laughs> I don't, I don't want to take FIFA down. I don't want to take FIFA down, with me, But but it is mainly it is mainly old boys like Oz and Kramer and people like that. Uh, um, Sasha would have been around them days. So yeah, it was that's uh, that kind of era. But. Um, But uh, but it's a good memory song. Like I say, it's not one of my favourites, but it's a real good song that reminds me of stuff.
0: Under three directors of the rugby, how have you seen the differences, or, or are they are they too too many or too difficult to no. to, to sort of put into put into words?
1: No, I mean um, without doubt, you know, not just because I'm with Mike now. Without doubt, Mike is the 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 best uh, coach I've had at Bedford by far. He, he understands rugby. You know, he's not he's not worried to say that he was wrong. Um, he, he's made mistakes as many as the boys have on the pitch, kind of thing. But but. He's, he's a good thinker. He is. He's, he's very good. And, and again, what, go back to what I said to earlier. I, I learn a lot from him now. You understand what the coaches are trying to fire at you when you on this side of it. But Mike, is, uh I don't know how how long Mike's going to go on for and, at the club or anything. But um, if if he if he left tomorrow, he'd be massively missed. You know. The, the truth is, I don't want to say too much because you know I've got to talk to him tomorrow, and I don't want to look like I'm, uh, I'm I'm licking his butt, but. Uh, but he's been massive for the club. Massive, yeah.
0: We're going to talk about the two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight season when you found out that uh, an injury was going to finally curtail uh, your your playing career. Mm. Never easy, I suppose, for any player to hear those nu- no. to hear that news. But no. how, how was it for you?
1: Well, obviously, um, you know, I was fine until until we played um, Exeter here um, at home. Um, Nothing was wrong at all until the, I did it. I did it pretty much the first sort of ten minutes of the game. I fin- I finished the game, but it was down one side was was really bad, um, and I had lots of. I didn't couldn't feel my arm at all, anything really. And uh, Bruno was playing at the time, and he was playing at tight head, and I was playing loose, and uh, he was having a bit of a hard time. So I went over the other side, was putting a quite lot more pressure on it. I could feel it all the time, and. Then, I must admit, at the time, I just thought I had a bit of a crook neck. sort of had that feeling before, but nothing major. And then the next day, I, or, or that night, I remember going out in town with the boys, and then that night I was struggling. Um, and I, I wasn't drinking or anything, I was really struggling, so I went home, and uh, the next morning, Sunday, I rang Jonesy up and said, Jonesy, I know, I know this isn't right, and I, I pretty much know what this feeling is. So I popped in to see Jonesy on the Monday, um, and pretty much straight away we discussed uh Jones said, right, let's get this sorted out. And he sent me to a guy called um, Nick Birch um, in Northampton, um, who actually did my back operation in 2000, uh, or 2001, yeah, 2001. And he just sat me down, because he knows me, I know him very well, and just sat me down and said, uh, Q, pretty bad way, mate, really. Because um, just before this, I had a scan. And so he looked at the scan and said, Q, it's pretty bad way, mate, you've got to give up rugby now. And uh, no, no, no messing around or nothing, he was just straight as, and just said, it's not good. I said, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't slept at all since I've done it, um, and this was the, the the Tuesday after the after the Saturday, and he says, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the op. Um, I know a real good guy down in Oxford called Tom Cadu Hudson. Um, he's absolutely fantastic with your necks. I'm gonna refer you to him. I said, no probs. He said, well, when when said I'm gonna get you in, I'm gonna sort you out as soon as possible. Um, and I went down on the Thursday to him. I came back here to the club and sort of said to Mike and. Uh, um, said, look, it's not looking good. It looks like, you know, game over kind of thing. Um, I said, but keep it under your hat for now. Let's, you know, let's not worry about it too much. And then on the Thursday, I went to see this guy, Tom Cadu Hudson. Um, I was in horrific pain. I hadn't slept since Saturday, since the Saturday. And he had, uh, already had my scans. Nick Birchard emailed them to him and everything, and uh, he already had my scans, and he looked at them, and he, then he said, right, let's go for a CAT scan. So I had a CAT scan as well, and then he put me through another scan. But... It was pinching that much. We couldn't. It was. Uh, it was too painful to do. So we had, we cut that out, and uh, and he said, "Look, this is what we've got to do." He says, "I can get you back playing rugby, um, but it's on a long road. So let's forget about that for now. Let's just get you back fit." He said, "I can't fit you in um, for another week," and I said, "Right, yo." So I was in all this. I was in all this pain, and I pretty much hadn't slept for a fortnight by the time I had this op done. I came round from the op. Um, and I was in um, intensive care because they go through the front of your neck these days, not the back. Because there's too many things to damage, like muscles and that. And they went through the front of my neck. They, they, then they're worried about your vocal cords, you see. So they put you in intensive care to just uh, make sure that that's all OK. I had no pain whatsoever. I had, I had no drugs afterwards. It was just absolutely fantastic. It was like amazing. Like It was just like you put a magic wand over me and fixed me. It was absolutely brilliant. So then um, I stayed in one night and I came home and they put like carbon fibre sort of Rods in my neck to hold it up and tied it up lo- loads of other things because the one of the problems is as well i've got in between your vertebrae you' meant to have um it's meant to be nice and thick, and mine's pretty much nothing there It's all black on your scan. It's just from years of wear and tear playing this stupid game really um so then I went back to him and we talked about um uh playing again and and he says it all depends what you do, how long do you want to play for my, my my thing was anyways I was going to I was going stop playing. I was going to finish that season and play one more year and, and give it up and I told him this and he said what he said look we can get you back playing um, but it's going to take you sort of nine months um, A major strengthening strengthening I'm going to uh, t- send you to um, this bloke he knows in Exeter who's going to strengthen my neck blah 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 and then when we sat down and worked out the time and things like that it was just like well it's not really worth it you know. That's why I always say to the boys, play it, play it like it's your la- it last, last game, because you never know when your last game is, you know. And uh, and I didn't know that was my wasn't my last game, but luckily I I played okay and uh, we won, so you know, and that was good. And it's always good at beating Exeter, isn't it? You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even if it nearly cost you your life.
1: Well, yeah, well it didn't cost me. Yeah, you know, and I had a, I had a bit of a bone chip as well on one of the vertebrae as well. But uh, but yeah, so it was all good. But I've had a, you know. Oh, I've had a fantastic time, if it, everything I've done in, in rugby and, and, and seen, you know, played in New Zealand and played for the Premiership All-Stars and everything, you can't, got to look, you can't look back and you, you can't think, oh, it just I had a fantastic time and, you know, I'm on just a dyslexic scaffolder from Peterbury, you know, half of this stuff, you know, you know truthfully, it, sometimes I pinch myself, you know, when I was in the England squad when I was a kid, there was people training there like Will Carling and Jeremy Guscott and... The Underwoods, you know, just like these are the boys you see on TV, and they're amazing, you know. Then <laughs> you're, you just out your depth, <laughs> you know. So I can't. I'm not worried about it at all. I've had a great time, but I still think in my head I still can still do it, but my body can't do it, you know.
0: Yeah. You touched on there an area that I was going to talk about, um, and we'll get to after your third song. What is your third song? Where well, was it? It's a bit predictable,
1: really. Um, I could have picked all ACDC songs all the way through, but it's ACDC uh, Let There Be Rock. Um, It's a long song, it's about six minutes long, but it is just good thrashing, good rock music, and uh, I just love it. It's just one of my favourite songs.
0: You touched on, before we, we heard from dear old ACDC, you touched on a little bit about, um, and you have brought it up before in conversation with me about your dyslexia. Was it something that, that you've um, felt has, in a strange way, helped or hindered your career?
1: Um, rugby career, not, I, mean, I can tell you a few little stories about it. but um, I can tell you one story about reading <laughs> yeah, raffle tickets with you. But exactly. But, it hasn't really, there's a few things like, you know, when you, you get like folders and pieces of paper and you've got to read them and you've got to learn moves or whatever by um, by a certain time or whatever. But again, you know, going back in the days, line-out calls were made simple, not simple, but we use, instead of using, we use numbers instead of letters pretty much um, um, all the way through my career really because of, of that. That sort of problem, and it may because figures isn't a problem for me really um but 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 see i get i know I can't explain it, but I get words mixed or letters mixed around like b's and d's look the same to me or are the same in way, in, and it's really weird, and m and n's are quite odd, and you know just j's and g's you know and it don't look the same, but they just are the same you know it's just it's a real weird thing, and I can't explain it and you know it, it from when I was a kid, I always had lessons after school um you know parents paid for sort of tutoring after school to try and and it did definitely make it better loads better because i never was i never was bullied or anything at school with it um but i i knew i wasn't the same as everyone else you know it wasn't like i had you know a third leg or anything and they just laughed at me or anything like that it wasn't nothing like that it was just that it was it i just knew i wasn't right and and, and how I sort of deal with a lot of it now um is like I memorize words and I know what they are, you know, and if I don't know how to spell something, I just ask somebody i don't you know it's not it's not it's not that bad end of the world, is it but it hasn't really hasn't really made much difference in my rugby career, no you know, but a couple of line out calls i'm um, okay. but what what I
0: mean is to a certain extent did it give you the focus to say? This is a a really good shot at something that you know to exclude well, an element of it all. Did it sort of focus your mind a little bit?
1: Um, put it this way: I knew what before I sort of like went into rugby. I knew how hard work it was out there because I'd already always been a worker. You know, I, I left school at fifteen. In I left my my last exam was in May, and I left school then, um, and I went to work the next day. And I, and and I, and I obviously. I was a, my, my father owned a scaffold company and I worked worked with that then and it was just something I fell into my dad's dyslexic as well and it's just something I went into so when I came into rugby and I got offered a, a contract to, to to sign you know someone was giving me money to go and play something I loved for god's sake and the first year it went professional what it was it 95 or 96 mm. um we didn't at Northampton we didn't go pro we would still say semi pro and it was brilliant you know but after that I saw a lot of my friends um, their earnings they just were well, weekend millionaires but it you know but so that side of it perhaps did focus me where i knew i wasn't going to an office job i knew i wasn't going to be always wanted to be a vet but i knew i probably shouldn't wouldn't be get, wouldn't be you know um so that that probably did focus me yes but it didn't it didn't make me any uh you know better or worse rugby player no i don't think
0: i asked you also to think about a film
1: are you a film man? Do you like going down I to do, the cinema? I do. I used to. I used to do. I used to go to the cinema quite a lot. Yeah. Um, not so. Much, not so much now. For uh, no, no major reason. Just. Just. Um, but. Uh, but. Um, I like all, all kinds. I like action. I like true story films. Um, I like all types. I like sort of gangster films, if you like, or not proper sort of. Come on, gangster things.
0: romantic comedies. Well, Come no, on. no,
1: I'm not really. I mean, I can have a giggle, but I'm not really into romantic comedies. No, not at all. You know me, being a tough man. But I would have thought,
0: to see you and Toops down there, you <laughs> yeah, know, crying it. on each other's shoulders, like holding
1: hands. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, no, I do, I do like films. Yeah.
0: So, if you had to have one.
1: Well, again, this was difficult for me because like Pulp Fiction is one of my favourite films. Um, you know, I like Commitments as well. It's a real good film. But my, my, the film, um, my one film that I'm going to pick is uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. <laughs>
0: Where does it where does it come from?
1: Well, you were talking about dyslexia earlier. That is that is all to do with that. Um, I don't really know how it come across, but th- there was a player co- uh, called Alan Clark, who I mentioned earlier, who played uh, at, the, at Northampton as a hooker, and uh, he just started calling me Matty Q, and it stuck. And, um, and it was all to do with me being dyslexic or whatever. So I'd like to think it, you know, to say I'm brainy like a, like Q1 James Bond, but it's nothing to do with that. Um, but, yeah, so it's just, just a nickname that's stuck, basically. Are you sure
0: you've not got any little gadgets you'd like to share well, with us today? N- not,
1: not, uh, <laughs> not that I can show you, no.
0: <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um my final question to to this on this away trip is is who you'd have sitting next to you now? This person could be dead or alive, can be related yeah. to you, not related to you. could do anyone in the world. Who who would you choose to have on this away trip sat next to you?
1: Well, I have struggled thinking. Well, not struggled. I, I, I thought about it a lot. Cause there's um yeah the obvious the obvious one is sort of like say Muhammad Ali or mm-hmm. bloody, um, Winston Churchill or something like that. But, you know. I'm well into my motorbike racing, and there's a bloke called Joey Dunlop. I was going to pick him as well. But I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to have two, uh, which are my granddads, because I didn't really know my granddads that well. Um, And so I didn't really talk to them that much. um, My my mother's father, I never um, never really talked to him at all. But my dad's, I did, and and obviously he died when I was quite young. But learning more now about them, they both were quite amazing people. They both seen the world, seen the life. Um, My dad's dad, he used to build airplanes for the war and all this kind of thing. So I'd I'd like to sit next to them and have a good old yarn, basically, if that's all right.
0: You can choose who you like, Thank you very uh, much. Mr. Voland, and I'm sure they'd quite like to sit next to you because you have been a, a really good blue servant over the years, yeah. and you continue to be. Long may it continue. Long may you continue to enjoy yourself. I, I very rarely see you without a smile on your face, Q mm-hmm. and I hope that continues. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, an honour, dare I say, to speak to you today. Thank you very much indeed, and good luck with everything this season.
1: Cheers, thank <laughs>